that was beautiful cambodian music traveling it leaves you speechless then turns you into a storyteller so said moroccan traveler ibn batuta some 700 years ago how true welcome to this podcast of my stories based on my new book global nomad i am dan mayur in this series of episodes dealing with people places and politics i share with you some of the fascinating experiences i have had during my travels in various parts of the world in this episode come with me to the southeast asian nation of cambodia cambodia was once rich civilized and much more heavily populated than today but all these riches have disappeared wrote french missionary and explorer charles emile boulevou for almost 50 years i have been fascinated by cambodia for two reasons first i have immense interest in the country because it is the home of the largest hindu temple in the world angkor wat as an avid reader of national geographic where i first saw the breathtaking pictures decades ago i always wanted to explore it for myself now cambodia is known to be 94% buddhist then why is the world's largest hindu temple in this small buddhist country second i landed in the united states at the height of the vietnam war as a student i distinctly remember president nixon's speech on national tv one evening when he proclaimed tonight american troops will march into cambodia upon my orders as the commander in chief what is cambodia and why is nixon doing this i wondered since then cambodia has been on my radar today this nation of 17 million is a constitutional monarchy it is ruled by a coalition as a superficial democracy it is one of the poorest countries in the region you know it instantly upon landing especially if you are coming from nearby cities like bangkok or singapore the contrast is striking yet equally striking are the smile and friendliness of the cambodian people the world calls it cambodia the cambodians call it khmer the names khmer or kampuchia derive from cambodia the sanskrit name for this land india and cambodia have certain very strong historical and cultural bonds indian seafarers arrived in this area over 1800 years ago they came with their religion and arts their military might and methods of governance hindu king jayavarman ii established the khmer empire around the year 800 it flourished for 600 years and helped the spread of hinduism and buddhism in this period were built thousands of temples including angkor wat however historically the country has been in a constant turmoil with endless regional wars and foreign occupations it became a protectorate of france in the middle of the 19th century and remained so for almost 100 years until 1953 when it got its independence 
but the misery of the people continued with the us bombing during the vietnam war and then the genocide carried out by its own people the khmer rouge under pol pot the cambodians have suffered like no other people in the world fortunately today the country seems to be relatively peaceful and economically stable although poor isn't it strange the unexpected intrigues the human mind as few other things can one of the great aha moments in my life came upon landing at the nom pen airport recently as i stepped out of the customs area i could not believe my eyes straight in front of me was a gigantic sculpture depicting in detail the indian mythological story of samudra manthan the story of devas and asuras gods and demons churning the ocean looking for elixir the amruta i could not believe it this is cambodia not varanasi or vrindavan or some other holy place like that in india i was intrigued amused and proud all at the same time much of southeast asia is buddhist indonesia and malaysia are mainly islamic but myanmar thailand cambodia laos vietnam korea and japan all follow some form of buddhism it is an offshoot of hinduism of course and the influence of hindu philosophy beliefs tradition and culture is all visible in various forms in most of these countries it is most prominent in cambodia i felt that except for the language the country could be very much a part of india the lifestyle and the standard of living the streets the shops the traffic are all so india nom pen today is much like bangkok of 40 years ago the similarities are unmistakable in the thai language the word bangkok means the city of angels in the cambodian language nom pen means the city of brahma's four faces brahma of course is the hindu god of creation bangkok is situated on the chao phraya river with numerous canals it is home to some distinctly british style buildings nom pen is located on the mighty mekong river and has some fine buildings with exquisite french architecture the cityscapes of both are dotted with soaring spires of buddhist temples and pagodas both cities have friendly people excellent food and a vibrant nightlife a little naughty sometimes raunchy of course once known as the pearl of asia nom pen was considered as one of the loveliest french built cities in the indochina of the 1920s our world is a mixed bag of good and bad we routinely experience swings of the joys and sorrows of little wins and defeats here and there that is a given and the human race is resilient enough to handle it however occasionally calamities occur that wipe off hundreds of thousands of lives in one stroke of mother nature's fury like major earthquakes tsunamis volcanic eruptions floods and forest fires and then there are equally horrifying man-made disasters of war and atrocities of insane fascists and dictators hitler's holocaust and stalin's gulag immediately come to mind 
the Holocaust was the World War II genocide of European Jews. Between 1941 and 1945, the Nazis and their collaborators systematically murdered 6 million Jews, that is two-thirds of Europe's Jewish population. Think about it. Two-thirds of Europe's Jewish population. In the Gulag system of labor camps in frozen Siberia, about 2 million people died in the period from 1930 to 1955. After Hitler's defeat, the Germans pronounced never again. After Stalin, the Russian dismantled the Gulag. Hopefully, the world had learned a lesson. And then comes along, of all places, in peaceful Buddhist Cambodia, the cruelest granddaddy of all dictators, Pol Pot, who, in a span of three years, eight months, and 20 days, during 1975 to 1979, brutally killed three million of his own people, men, women, and children. All Cambodians remember these figures. Three million people in three years, eight months, and 20 days. Three million people in three years, eight months, and 20 days. Men, women, and children. A little bit of history here. After the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, communism became a popular political movement in many parts of the world. So it was in Cambodia. In its neighborhood, Americans were fighting the communists, the Vietnam War. Since World War II, the foreign policy of democratic America was to blatantly prop up dictators anywhere in the world as long as they were subservient to it and helped toward the advent of communism. And in every case, after the initial success, this resulted in disastrous consequences for the home country with civil wars and prolonged instability. Iran, Chile and Vietnam are just a few of such countries. Cambodia was the bloodiest and most gruesome example of this. In the year 1970, Lon Nol, a pro-American Cambodian general, overthrew Prince Narodam Sihanouk and unwittingly involved his country in the Vietnam War. His military rule ended in 1975 when the Khmer Rouge took over the country through their guerrilla tactics. Set up in 1967 as the armed wing of the Communist Party of Kampuchea, Khmer Rouge was an extremist radical movement. The Khmer Rouge perceived economic injustice and exploitation of the poor by the rich, of the illiterate by the educated, and of the rural farmers by urban dwellers as the immediate problems to be solved. Their propaganda persuaded thousands of Cambodian youth to join in. There were two groups among the communists. One of the genuine patriots who wanted real salvation of downtrodden Cambodians and the other group of delusional communists blinded by the thoughts of total revenge of the establishment. This group wanted a Cambodia in which everyone was equal, with no social classes, no money, no crime, no private property, no rich, no poor and no diversity, agriculture and total self-sufficiency with no imports would be their focus.
deprivatization, collectivization, cooperative units and communal living were the means to that goal. This was unsustainable and proved totally destructive. The leader of this extremist group was a France-educated revolutionary known as Pol Pot. He ousted Lon Nol and governed Cambodia as the Prime Minister from 1976 to 1979. He converted the country into a one-party communist state, governing it based on his crazy interpretation of communism. In his attempt to cleanse the country of perceived impurities, Pol Pot created an extensive network of security centers and killing fields in which millions of Cambodians were imprisoned, tortured and executed. The slightest suspicion was enough. During his reign, three million people died of execution, forced labor, starvation and disease. He unleashed a mindless hatred against the intellectual class, those he thought profited from the blood and sweat of others. Traders, teachers, professors, monks, doctors, lawyers, writers, and bankers were the first targets of his genocide. Lest people forget the ravages of Pol Pot and his despotic rule, the Cambodian government that followed him has preserved certain sites. One of them is the Tual Sling Genocide Museum. A genocide museum. Even the words sound horrible. And the other, Chong Ek Memorial, or simply the Killing Fields. These are bone-chilling reminders of Cambodia's tragic history. You are listening to the Global Nomad Podcast. I am Dan Mayur. To all slang also known as the S-21 prison, was formerly a high school before it was turned into an interrogation and torture center. It is now the Genocide Museum. Most rooms here have been left in the same state they were found at the time of liberation of Cambodia by the Vietnamese forces in the January of 1979. It is a horrible sight. Of the estimated 17,000 Cambodians, who were imprisoned here, only seven managed to survive. 17,000 imprisoned, seven survived. Our resourceful driver, Mr. Tauri, had arranged a great treat for me, meeting one of those survivors. Even the thought of meeting him was surreal, like meeting a Martian. He is a divinely chosen man. He had extricated himself out of the jaws of death. How did he do it? In the January of 1979, nine-year-old Nong Chan Paul, I will call him just Paul, was found hiding in a pile of dirty laundry in the large kitchen of the totally evacuated ghost town of the prison by the liberating Vietnamese soldiers. He was cold and emaciated, but his spirit was high. His tale is a story of resilience and courage, of hope and the human spirit, of endurance and sheer luck. Round-faced, short and stocky, with the trademark Cambodian smile, Fal was waiting for us as we came out of the museum. 
He is now a trained mechanic. He said he wants to help rebuild his country. He is also a part-time worker at the museum, helping tourists understand what really happened there. He is about 50 now and speaks decent English. In a matter-of-fact way, he told me his gut-wrenching story. Born in 1970, the sixth of seven children in a relatively well-to-do family, Paul had a blissful childhood. In his words, Father Nong was a woodworking man, very good, and Mother Mama Yov, her name, my dearest, doing household thing and little bit farm work. We have so many animals, 30 cow, 20 buffalo, and one big elephant, my best friend. Paul spent his days playing with his siblings, tending the animals and helping his parents in their routine chores. He continued, One time every week, mother bring us ice ball with coconut milk and red color syrup. So good. Innocent little joys of life. The good life came to a sudden end. When one day a couple of military men in black outfits came and asked them and all their neighbors to get out of Phnom Penh immediately. Deeply shocked, everyone left in a hurry, leaving everything behind. It did not belong to them anymore, not even the animals, and that broke false heart. The whole city was evacuated within three days. Tired and hungry, they walked miles and miles in the dark. Eventually, all families were split, children were taken from their mothers, and everyone was sent to different communes according to sex and age. The children would now be raised by the state, animals would go to the slaughterhouses, and adults would do exactly what they were told to do. Paul said, I missed mother so bad, and my elephant, I wanted to die. That made us so sad. They made us collect animal dung, carry rocks, and listen to the same, same, same speeches all day about revolution. Fortunately, he was not alone. His four-year-old brother, Lai, was in the same camp with him. Food was totally inadequate and tasteless. Puny rice gruel and watery vegetable soup were all they got. Necessity makes you inventive. He found edible roots and tubers, insects and lizards to eat. The instinct of survival forces you to do anything, eat anything. One stormy night, Fall escaped, walked all night and found his mother's commune. His mother, frail and sick, somehow managed to convince the authorities to let him stay with her so he could take care of her. Late in 1978, two soldiers stormed in, wielding their AK-47s and ordered Fall, Lai, their mother and two other women in the camp with their infant children, six and four months old, to get in the jeep with them. No talking allowed. 
After a long tiring drive, they stopped at a place with a high metal gate and a tall barbed wire fence. They had arrived at the S21 prison in Phnom Penh. My stomach churned uncomfortably with false blood-curdling account of what happened next. The Khmer Rouge brutes locked metal bars on the women's ankles and bombarded them with a series of questions and accusations. Pulling their hair with one hand, punched and kicked them after every answer in front of their screaming children. As his mother fell and little fall rushed to help her, a soldier stepped on his hand, slapped him and pulled him back. The children, five of them, fall, lie, a toddler and the two infants were torn away from their mothers and sent to the kitchen. There was no separate section for the children. Fall did not see his mother again. Suddenly, eight-year-old Fall was now an adult taking care of four little kids. They remained hidden in a corner of the kitchen most of the time, surviving on the few crumbs that a cook threw at them. The four-month-old infant died in a couple of days. This was at the tail end of the Pol Pot reign. Within a few days, early in 1979, Fall heard loud noises of gunfire in the distance, followed by a major commotion all around. He collected the kids and hid in the kitchen once again in a large pile of dirty clothes that had been accumulating there. He heard shrill announcements on the speakers and suddenly everyone, the prisoners, the guards and everybody else ran out leaving the entire prison campus dark and empty. It became a huge ghost town. Two days later, Vietnamese liberators entered S-21 and found the children cold and shivering in the kitchen. Fall and Lai, with other children like them, were sent to a state-run orphanage. There they grew up, were educated and started a new life. Some found their siblings. None found their parents. Before the liberation, this is what happened to the political prisoners. The inmates of S-21 and similar prisons around the country were taken to secluded areas that have come to be known as the killing fields for the final solution. With loud music playing in the background to muzzle the sound of their screams, they were brutally killed by physical assault with crude weaponry, no gas chambers and no bullets to waste. Their bodies were dumped in large pits like fishermen dump a net load of fish in a pile on the boat. The pits were covered with chemicals to suppress the stench and also to expedite the disintegration of the bodies. This is gruesome as gruesome gets. After saying a tearful goodbye and a hug, we left fall. Mr. Tory, our driver and guide, was not finished yet. He drove us to the Chong Ek Memorial, about 17 kilometers south of Phnom Penh. This is one of the largest killing fields preserved by the Cambodian government. Images of the Nazi concentration camps in Dachau, outside of Munich and Auschwitz in Poland, with the Arbeit marked Fry sign on their iron gates kept flashing in my eyes. 
It was in 1975, some 30 years after the fall of Germany, that I had first visited Dachau. I still recall how my mind was totally numbed by the exhibits there. But there was a feeling of hope. The world had resolved saying no, never again. The cruel irony was that just at that moment of my visit to Dachau in 1975, a worse massacre of humanity was unleashing at the opposite end of the world in Cambodia. As we walked around the killing fields, my mind was filled with thoughts of piles of human skeletons, broken bones and cracked skulls. I wanted to close my eyes, throw up and get out of there. This was a mass graveyard, not just of people. It was a graveyard of culture and history and religion. It was a graveyard of humanity. But the worst was yet to come. I felt as if I was a dead man walking in total silence, too shocked to say anything, feel anything, think anything. Tori stopped me at a large tree near a pit. The huge trunk of the tree had symbolic red marks. This is where the Khmer Rouge beasts killed infants, grabbing them by their feet and swinging them upside down to smash their heads on the tree, instantly killing them and throwing their bodies in the pit. What is it with us human beings? Members of our race that can create unbelievable works of art and science. From Mozart's music to Michelangelo's paintings, from the Sistine Chapel to the Taj Mahal and Angkor Wat, from the technologies of heart transplant and landing on the moon to the cell phone on one hand and then carry out genocides like this on the other. No better than the Neanderthal man capable of unthinkable atrocities against fellow human beings. What have we learned in thousands of years of our civilization? After the sight of the infant killing tree, I could not take it anymore. We cut the trip short with the clamor of never again, never again ringing in my ears and numbing my mind. That evening was one of the most difficult in my life. Today, in gun-wielding free societies like America, horrendous crimes against humanity, murders and mass killings are an unfortunate reality. We hear about them often and we do get somewhat desensitized about violence and death. Yet, the spectacle of the killing fields and the brutal treatment of its own people by the Pol Pot regime was utterly gut-wrenching. I could not get over it. Another thought tormented me. The Cambodians are Buddhists. It is a religion of compassion and non-violence, of peace and nirvana. How could any of the Pol Pot men even think of doing what they did? The mass behavior of humans can be distinctly different from individual behavior. Under certain circumstances, with leaders like Hitler or Pol Pot, 
humans are capable of unthinkable atrocities fortunately history shows that the pendulum swings back to normality sooner or later the good always prevails over the evil people like our driver mr tory are a testimony to this phenomenon the average cambodian is known for his smile kindness and friendly behavior he also says never again you have been listening to global nomad this is dan mayur i am delighted that we share the passion for travel exploring places and knowing people let us build together a community of enlightened travelers join me for another episode next week until then let us listen to some beautiful cambodian music so long <laughs>